friends, Romans, countrymen. Lend me your ears. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the MC Lars podcast. And I know y'all probably been thinking the same thing. Where you been, Lars? Where you been? This is episode 116. It is Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. And um, I've gone to the monthly format on the podcast. Now, there's a lot of reasons why I've done that. Mainly, I want to keep doing the podcast, but I want to make it good. I don't want to rush it. I want to enjoy the process. I want it to be fun. And I want to have quality guests. And doing it every week, not that I haven't had quality guests, it's just, it became draining. And, you know, I've been doing this podcast some form or another since 2006. I took pretty long hiatus from the first year to when I brought it back. But doing it every week is is fun, but it's for the passion. And, you know, the main reason why I do it is to talk to people I respect, to promote the stuff I'm working on. And I'm not really working on a lot right now, and I'm not touring. I really want to. And I think when the pandemic started, which was almost a year ago, I felt like doubling down on everything because I wanted to preserve my creative strands of all the stuff I did related to music while maintaining uh, being a parent, being a father, and just to prove that I could do it. And I will always do cartoons. I will always do music. I will always do the podcast. I'll always keep doing the hatchet chat. Um, I'll always keep doing the nerdcore streams with my friends, you know, as long as I can. Um, and I'll always keep doing the Patreon. But I think that knowing, you know, the return cost benefit is, it's good to be honest with yourself. So I can keep making this a positive, fun, organic endeavor. So anyway, if you're missing me one week, uh, go listen to some of the old episodes because there are a ton of episodes. This is episode 116. This month's episode is brought to you by the Patreon Larshans. If you want to hear my uh, Star Wars raps, this month I am doing, yes, that is correct, A New Hope, Star Wars A New Hope, and the Holiday Special. So tune in to patreon.com slash mclars for that. Shout out to the new supporters, Ali Freed MC, Old One, and Punk Curmudgeon. Shout out to the old ones, Lunarctic, David, and Mark. I appreciate y'all. And Patreon supporters get the uh, annual concert, they get merch, they get essays, videos, so check that out. So let's get into it. Let's start with our question of the month. I asked a question on social media. The Larsons drop knowledge just like Wikipedia. What you think about this or that? Let, Let me guess. guess. These are the messages that some of y'all left. Please leave a message after the tone. So this month I asked a very controversial question. Who is your favorite Wu-Tang member and why? Let's go to the phones. Oh, shoot, our first caller. Look at this. It's Brian from Suburban Legends. What? Hello, MC Laws. This is Brian W. Clem. You may know me from such times as we've been touring together everywhere for about 30 years. And I'm calling in regards to your request on my favorite Wu-Tang Clan member. I would like to buy a vowel and say I like them all for different reasons. Please discuss that amongst yourselves. So why do you like each member individually? Let's broaden the topic. Anyway, love you, XOXO, Brian Clem, out. This is for the children. Before you even had a name, you were screaming Wu-Tang. I should have done that last part. It sounds stupid. Love you. Bye. That uh, is my homie, Brian Clem 
from Suburban Legends, who we shared a love of hip-hop together since our work touring in 2007 and beyond. And he was always an advocate of our projects doing stuff together. So thank you, Brian. That's a good answer. Yes, they're all great. I agree. So let's go to the phones. Who is my favorite member from uh, Wu-Tang? My favorite member is uh, Redman. And that is because interesting story about this. I used to work valet down at a casino in Tucson, Arizona. What happened was all of Wu-Tang was there. They were kind of waiting on their vehicle for some reason. They decided to Uber it. But uh, Redman asked me, he's like, yo, yo, what's up? Uh, where's the nearest Denny's to here? Game direction. I'm like, you know, you go 10 minutes down this way, turn to the left side. All of a sudden, somebody in the back goes, hey, we're going to IHOP. He goes, nah, y'all know I don't fuck with IHOP. We're going to Denny's. And I was just like, all right, Denny's is the better choice. He's like, yeah, that's why I want to go there. I just kind of walked away. And since that day on, I'm just like, dude, all right, Denny's is my spot. Redman is my guy. And kind of where it ended. That was a special call from Tucson, Arizona. Thank you, homie. Um, I wanted to say that Redman, you know, technically he's not part of Wu-Tang. He's like an affiliate. But recently I saw a few years ago he was saying how he's the 11th member of Wu-Tang. Um, but you make a good point. They're inseparable. And, of course, he's done all this stuff with Method Man. But that's a great story. It's good to hear about his taste in late-night diners. All right. Next up, we have a call from my man, Joseph Olliger, down in St. Pete, Tampa. And uh, Joe produced a lot of the songs on Lars Attacks. He did live sound for me for a few tours. A talented dude. He was in a band with John Longley called I Am One. They used to be called Flash Fire. I don't know if they're still active, but they've played some shows. And uh, when I asked Joe, after he called in, if there's anything else I wanted to say, this is what he said. I'm now digital content producer for Drew Garabo Live, where the number one rated afternoon primetime FM slot in Tampa Bay, which is a top 20 market in the U.S. This past year in COVID, we surpassed most of our other clusters as one of the highest rated shows in the company, in part due to my efforts to innovate the face of the show by producing entirely with green screen to get people to watch from home since they were no longer commuting due to lockdowns. My biggest personal push right now is at the Joey flash on Twitch. It's pop culture gaming and soon to be music streams. I'm working up to interviews out there as well. So I'd love to get you on bubble. So he, yeah, we might do a thing where I come and talk on his show too. But anyway, I thought it was cool. He called in years ago. I gave Joey, uh, the Tao of woo. The Riz's book. And uh, yeah, I think it sparked some things in his mind. He was always kind of into hip hop, but when we did Lars Attacks, he really proved how good he was as a hip hop producer. So check it out. This is a call from Joey Flash. Let's see what he has to say. Hey, Lars, it's Joey Flash. So Wu Tang, for members, I uh, have to say it's come down to Riza and Jizza. Uh, as a producer, obviously Riza. Uh, Jizza is a lyricist because Liquid Swords is my favorite album out of all of them. Uh, for me, I grew up loving Hong Kong kung fu movies just like them. So I watched classic Jackie Chan movies, but I also watched the old Gordon Liu movies, uh, like The 36th Chamber of Shaolin and Legend of Master Killer. And most people might know Gordon Liu as Pai Mei from Kill Bill. Um, so RZA as a producer really appealed to me because his appreciation for those films, which obviously inspired all of the Wu-Tang, it really shows in the beats where he took the music, you know, he sampled it and he turned it into the music instead of just going with the 808 and the hi-hat. And it really created a unique culture that drove beat making forward. 
And uh, I, I think it really set the tone for a lot of hip hop. That's great. Great insight, Joey. I mean, I know you're into the Kung Fu movies, the martial arts movies, and you're right. Wu-Tang really put the East Coast back on the map after everything went to the West Coast with Dre and Snoop and G-Funk. And so that's a good point, man, about the aesthetics of Wu-Tang and Liquid Swords, probably the best Wu-Tang solo record. I would say that and uh, Return to the 36 Chambers by ODB, two of my favorite Wu-Tang solo records. If y'all haven't heard it, check out the Broken Record podcast with uh, Rick Rubin and RZA talking about creativity and quarantine because they're just two hip-hop fans like just getting into it about hip hop and their love for each other. It's a, it's a really good interview. So be sure to check that flavor out. All right. Next we got my man, Chad from Fago lovers. Thanks for calling in Chad. What do you got to say? Chad of Fagolovers.net here. Who is my favorite Wu-Tang clan member? You ask it would definitely have to be RZA because MC skills has always catch listeners off guard with his, Witty off the wall flows that are combined with plentiful, flavorful verbiage. You know, just totally just melts your mind. Like, boom, whoa! Did he just say that? You know, he's making you think about what your average hip hop fan would consider good flow, breath control, and wordplay by deliberately going against the rules of hip hop. Not to mention his slamming production skills just simply motivate your mind and body to do something in your life. You know, it's pure raw energy. How music should be. Not to mention, I'm a huge fan of the Gravediggers, which, you know, the RZA is part of as the Resurrector. You know, not not a lot of people know, but the Gravediggers' Six Feet Deep debut LP was recorded before Wu-Tang Clan's 36 Chambers, Knowledge for Your Mind. Now, if I had to choose a Wu-Tang Clan affiliate, Shabazz Disciple, all day. Enough said. Chad, thank you, man. So, Chad works at Fago Lovers and that's a juggalo news site. They always post our hatchet chats. He's always at the shows. I met him at the Dark Carnival Games convention in Denver when I opened for ICP. He's a great guy. And Chad, that's a good point. A lot of people don't realize that uh, the first Gravediggers records with Prince Paul was actually recorded before 36 Chambers. RZA was in between projects trying to get things together. So that album came out like at an interesting time in his career. And it's like a, a horrorcore classic. If you haven't heard that record, six feet deep, peep that Gravediggers records because it is flawless. For more information on the Gravediggers records, check out Mike Eagle's interview with Prince Paul on Well, What Happened Was, which was a podcast series they did. Okay, here we got a vote for Method Man. Lars, Jack Phantom, the Exquisite Corpse Cabaret. For my money, it would absolutely be Method Man. Uh, Method Man, uh, from what I understand, had a girlfriend who stuck by him no matter what when times were tough and he was coming up. And when he got rich, he got famous, he got noticed. There was some competition for his attention. From what I understand, he turned it all down and he stuck with the person who was by him in the lean years. He was as ride or die for her as she was for him, um, even when she got sick. He stuck by her and defended her. Uh, that shows exemplary character. Uh, from what I understand, he's a good man. My vote's Method Man. Thank you, homie. That's a very good one. And I didn't know about that story, but that shows Method Man is a good guy. I met him at a uh, King of the Dot rap battle in L.A. a few years ago, and it was a thing they used to do. I guess they still do where rappers would battle a cappella. Um, it was kind of cool, but Method Man was there just chilling, taking pictures, and he was just really humble, and I got a photo with him. So that's what's up. Okay, here we got a vote for ODB. My favorite Wu-Tang member. 
was the ODB, Old Dirty Bastard. And I loved him because he just liked it raw. He was as original and just great, great talent that was taken too soon. Thank you. Thank you, bro. And now we got another vote for ODB. By the way, if you want to hear about a story of the time ODB worked with Insane Clown Posse on the fifth Joker's card, check out the newest episode at Hatchet Chat on my YouTube channel. My favorite Wu-Tang member is the one and only ODB. Old dirty bastard, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what's up. ODB, another vote. Now we got a call from a man, Mike Russo, who is a... Very talented, amazing dude. He plays guitar and bass for me. He's been my tour manager off and on. We've been friends for 15 years now. And uh, anyway, he's been on the podcast, and he actually interviewed me for the episode about my life. Anyway, this is his vote, and uh, I always trust what Mike says because he has really good taste in music, and he's one of my favorite people. Hey, this is Mike Russo calling. If I had to pick a favorite Wu-Tang Clan member, I think i got to go with the RZA. Uh, I don't think it was until I saw the movie Ghost Dog in maybe 2000 and saw that he scored it that I kind of understood what his role in Wu-Tang was. But once I did, um, I just don't think there's any denying that beyond having great lyrics, beyond having an iconic physical voice, that his production has created an aesthetic that you know, really changed hip-hop and showed the possibilities of how you can take all sorts of influences from any kind of media or any kind of spiritual outlook and, and, and kind of blend everything together into one very unique stew that is yours and yours alone. Uh, he is the best. And at the end of the day, like all of us, he's just also a huge fan of music and uh, I saw him on a plane once, which uh, is neither here nor there, but I do think was pretty cool. Mike, I think you're pretty cool, and uh, thank you for calling in. My favorite member is RZA. I don't know if I've said that, but yeah, because of his production, his rap style, his just everything. It's a really hard... I've found this. To put together a record with guests is not easy. And when we did the Digital Gangster LP with Whitey Cracker and me, we were in San Francisco, posted up getting parts from people, having rappers come in and rap. And it's kind of hard to even put together an album with a bunch of features. Now, imagine holding a group together with that many people. Now, Wu-Tang, maybe people say that didn't last that long, that ability for them to all work together. But when it worked, RZA was at the center of it and uh, amazing producer and a great writer too. Check out his books. Okay, we got one more call. This is from my man, MC Snacks, up in Canada. You can hear us every month on Hatchet Chat. What up, y'all? your homie MC Snacks here calling to share my favorite Wu-Tang member and that's got to be the one the only the Jizza uh, you know his work with the group is amazing his work solo work is amazing I don't know anybody who drops knowledge like he does Liquid Swords is one of my favorite hip-hop albums of all time and you know he's just a bomb anyway I hope y'all are doing well stay safe homies peace MC Snacks, always doing great stuff. Thank you for calling in. All right, let's get into it. This is my interview with Devo Spice. Woo! Now, at the end of this interview, we're going to hear Devo Spice's Method Man parody about The Mandalorian, which is why I wanted to have everyone call in to share their favorite Wu-Tang members. So we'll tie it in at the end. But um, Devo Spice, 
we played a show together on the night Obama won in Jersey in 2008, but I've known about this dude for years because he was always up in the Weird Al Usenet forums on the old school internet forums, you know, the ind- independent music forums, independent rap forums back in the 90s when I was just a young buck trying to get my start in the game with an empty 4X Yamaha 4-track trying to get heard. And the community was always really supportive. Uh, Devo went on to help start the Fump, which he runs, and some of the Fump members include Insane Ian, Luke Ski, Shoebox of Worm Quartet. But on this interview, Devo talks about his time at RIT, and I actually talked to another RIT graduate, Theosin, uh, a few months ago, and it's they were at the school at different times, but it struck me that like the music community and the tech community and everything came together in an interesting way at RIT in a way that was special and why Rochester is such a cool place for culture and music and nerd life and all that. So he talks about this tape that he put out, one of the first ever internet compilations called the Alt-Rap Unsigned Tape. And I asked Devo to talk a little bit more about it. Basically, some artists on there like DOA, Shy Guy Productions, uh, DOL, MC Flash X, who went to start Ola.com and RapReviews.com, Lyrical Profits, Union of Authority, and of course Sudden Death, which was Devo's original group, which he talks about, were all part of this project. And they all went on to do interesting things. But it's cool to think about an internet community where it was kind of impossible to send MP3s back then because the technology, of course, didn't exist. And they dubbed tapes for each other uh, as a way to spread the music. It was too early in the years of CDR burning. So his experience in the music industry, I would say he got to start probably 10 years plus before me. And I feel like that was a very interesting time where you really had to be creative and you really had no idea if anyone was going to hear you. But the idea that like one other hip-hop head would be into your flavor that's just dope um like to think about that right and and how media nowadays it's like you can just click and get every band's album in a second and it's like it doesn't really have the same value not to say that things are better now or worse now but it was different um also i talk about how when i first heard his song with luke ski the Peter Parker, which was a parody of Peter Piper by Run DMC. It blew my mind because I got into old school rap later, like in the early 2000s in college. I started discovering all that stuff. And when I realized that there were people parodying these old songs, which, you know, people didn't weren't really talking about Run DMC much in 2003, other than like a throwback. But they'd actually, they actually did a parody of it, and it was on Dr. Demento. I thought it was tight. So anyway, that's my intro to this interview with... Devo Spice and stick around after for his Mandalorian Method Man parody, which is pretty tight. And I'll say what's up at the end. All right, here we go. All right, everyone. You're tuned to the MC Lars podcast. I'm here with Devo Spice, a prolific artist who I've known for a very long time, who puts out so much good music, parodies and originals, nerdcore and comedy and dementia music. He's done a lot for the scene. He's a good guy. And he's one of those guys who's an unsung hero where I feel like in an alternate (laughs) universe, Devo Spice would be as big as Weird Al. And um, I love him. Oh, thank you, man. How's it going, man? I'm I'm doing good. You know, hanging in there. 
Do you have three kids or two? I have three kids. To have time to talk to you for the podcast, we've been talking about this for a very long time, and I'm grateful to have you on, man. We have. We've been trying to schedule this for a long time, so I'm glad it finally happened. Because we were going to try to do it in real life, but then we realized that it would be great to see each other and hang out, but it would be logistically difficult. And now, thanks to COVID, everything is canceled. We can't. Right. Everything's canceled. (laughs) When that parody came out, that was one of the first songs I remember hearing about the pandemic where I was like, I could laugh about it. It was very healing, amazing parody. So props on that. Thank you. Early in the pandemic, yeah, uh, somebody, I, and I, I wish I knew who who did it because I'd, I'd love to give them credit, but somebody made a meme of the, uh, the, the little Lego characters with the Everything is Awesome logo, and it just said everything is canceled, and it was being shared around. And, you know, me being me, I was like, somebody needs to make that. Nobody's going to make that. I'm going to make that. So I made that. And the video is cool because you you have a lot of views and um, you did it with Lego. I did it with Lego. Yeah. The uh, video is not my strong point. So like I'm, I'm trying to get better at it. You know, I just recently bought a better camera and stuff. So like, but with this video, I figured my kids have Lego. Right. And I could just, you know, hold the Lego characters up in front of the camera and call it a video. And it works. For, for this particular song. Like so many artists of the, like nerdcore and comedy artists, breaking into the U- viral YouTube world sometimes feels like learning a new language. We talk about this a lot on the podcast. Like people like you and Luke and YouTube is its own beast, right? Yeah, it is. You can have like dozens of great parodies, but like that's a very hard thing to translate into. Yeah, and as I said, it's 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 not my forte. So like, you know, my... Uh, I think my I think everything is canceled is now my highest viewed song, but uh, for a long time, m- my highest viewed song was My Atari, which was a parody of My Adidas by Run DMC, and that video was just it. I, I was literally I was hanging out at a convention with uh, Shoebox of Worm Quartet, Rob Balder, and I forget who else was there. Luke was not there that weekend, um, and and we were like, hey. We've got time because there wasn't a whole lot going on at the con. Let's film a video. So we recorded our, you know, I, I gave the camera to Shoebox's wife, Kim. She, you know, filmed us on the stage while we were performing the song at my show. And then we went up to the hotel room and we, you know, filmed us in the hotel room, you know, performing the song and hacked it together in a couple of days. And there's a video and all. And that one got thousands of views, you know. And these other videos I spend you know, lots of hours and, and sometimes hundreds of dollars on making this, you know, video and yeah, I'll get 300 views, you know, (laughs) it's like, it used to be in my experience, you put out a video and you'd be like, Oh, cool. 5,000 views. That one didn't do so well. Nowadays, like you put out a video. I feel like I'm lucky if I get 300, 400 views. And if I get more, it's like, Oh yo, it's working. It's just because all the content, right? The deluge. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's really hard to stand out. Um, I, I, th- I think I'm going to name my next album farting into the wind because that kind of, you know, that kind of feels like what I've been doing my whole career. That's funny, but you've also built this project with so many of your collaborators. You put so much energy 
into the Funny Music Project. And uh, Luke talked about it on the show, and I had uh, Worm Quartet on about a year ago, Tim. And like, mm-hmm. this must take so much time running FUMP. It does. Um, I've got it down to a science at this point, but it does still take a lot of time. I work on it every day, if only to do the accounting, because you know we we get subscription payments every day. We sell MP3s and CDs every day, so you know I need to record all of that so that at the end of the month, people like you can get their their royalty checks. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and you know, so <laughs> so you know, I I handle the accounting. I handle the monthly statements and the and the pay. I handle producing the bi-monthly compilation albums we do. I'm the one who designed and programmed the website. When stuff goes wrong on the website, like if it gets hacked, which has happened, I'm the one who has to deal with that. Um, you know, so I I I should have like tattoos on my knuckles that say Fump Life because that's kind of the way I live. Plus being an artist, plus being a father, plus you you have to pay the bills in other ways, like you must feel like. Do you ever sleep, dude? Like <laughs> I do. I actually I make it a point to um to to sleep. Yeah, I try to get a good eight hours every every night because I don't sleep well. So I try to at least like if I'm not going to sleep well, at least I'm going to be in bed for eight hours and I'm going to try to yeah. try to rest. But uh, I, I'm very good at. I don't want to call it multitasking, but I'm very good at saying like, okay, it's going to take. 10 minutes for this file to upload to the server. What can I do in that 10 minutes to be productive? And I'll, I'll sneak away and do something else while that's... And even if I come back 15 minutes later and the file's been up there for five minutes, that's fine. I get back to that task. So I'm very good at jumping from one task to the other and, and managing everything that needs to get done. Seems like a lot of the OG internet artists who've been doing this for decades, like you have, have to have a very specific skill set which is being able to manage the creative side and being like having the nerdy technical engineering perspective the coding perspective right the understanding the back end and the file structure and everything and so i guess one of the questions i wanted to ask you was when did you first realize this magical thing called the internet was a way you could help reach people with your music like what was that moment like and when did that happen for you very early on i was actually involved in what is probably the first ever internet compilation album hmm. um back in 1992 uh i was in college and there was um on campus we had a a, a bulletin board system actually there were two of them i don't remember which one came first Um, But we had this, we had a, we put together a compilation album for, you know, musical artists who were on campus and it was just, you know, a variety of things. And then there was the alt rap news group back in the day. And the people in alt rap were like, you know what? There's a lot of talent on this board. Maybe we should put out a compilation album. And so I got involved in that. And that was uh, the, the RIT tape was 92 and the alt rap compilation was either 92 or 93. And um, so we got together and we had like Shy Guy Productions and and DOA, the, the other Asiatics they were called, um, a guy named Flash who runs a website called Original Hip Hop Lyric Archive, um, Lyrical Profits, Blue Riddle Productions. I can't remember. I can't believe I'm remembering these names. I suck at names and I'm remembering these people. It's pretty impressive. But uh, <laughs> so, so what we did was um, there was a guy at RIT with me who actually produced the album. So everyone sent their their cassettes to him. Um, I hooked up with him and I was, and that, that was T-Dub from Shy Guy Productions. And I was like, Hey, I'm an artist. I can do the cover for you if you want. I'll just, you know, tell me what you wanted to say. I'll lay it out and, and do the design for the cover. So I did the cover 
and we produced it. And the way it worked was we didn't want any money changing hands. So uh, the, the way distribution worked was anyone who wanted a copy of the album needed to send a 60-minute blank tape to T-Dub. He would copy the, the tape and send it back. And right. that's how it was. <laughs> and we sent out several hundred copies of this thing. You know, wow. it, it did pretty well. Um, and, you know, back so that I was thinking, you know, this is how I can I can reach potential fans. It was the alt rap news group and the rec music, hip hop and rec music, dementia news groups were the ones that that I frequented the most. Um, and then, the you know, the web came by later. And I- <laughs> that because that's interesting uh, transition, because that's where I met Luke. In like the '90s, on the alt fan Weird Al or alt music Weird Al, alt music Weird Al. I remember you posting to the Weird Al news group. I remember that. <laughs> I was, really, you do? So I, was, I do. Yes. I was like, uh, "What advice can you give me?" And Luke was like, "Here's how you get your stuff to Doctor Demento." I didn't realize you had seen that post too. That's kind of embarrassing. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I was, I was very, uh, I was very big in the Weird Al news group too. <laughs> and I, the first song I heard was the uh, obviously P- the Peter Parker. Um, Run DMC parody, and I thought that was so cool because it was produced really well. It was funny. Mm-hmm. It's it was like uh, really fun to hear older rap be referenced, and um, everyone was so nice in that group. And like, it's just it's so cool, man. Like that, like Frontalot's new record is kind of about how like that internet has gone away, right? Like his his net split record is about how the internet used to be this fun. This fun place where you have nice, helpful people like Luke and you building compilations and and it's not to get too negative, but it's not necessarily just that these days. There is that community, but you've seen you've been there since the beginning because you're a few years older than me. So like you've seen everything come and change. And I don't know, man. Do you like how does it feel being like an OG internet musician and like all these seeing all these kids now? blowing up on youtube it's weird yeah and it's it's i and i and i'll be i'd be lying if i said i wasn't jealous of of the people who came up behind me and then blew past me and you know now get millions of views on on youtube but um you know it's it's fun to watch you know good talent emerge like i I remember watching you come up and blowing past me and you know um and and, uh, my old stuff my old stuff by the way i mean like was not that Needed a lot of work, so like, um, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. Let me address that because I, I am <laughs> so happy that I did not have the internet when I was starting doing music because every piece of crap early sudden death track I ever recorded would have been up on my MySpace page for people to hear. And right. it, that stuff is just awful. And it's not that I'm like ashamed of it or anything. It's just, it, it was recorded in my basement on a boom box in, you know, with no microphones or anything. I, I literally, I, I hit play on a tape behind me for the music. And then I wrapped into the open air microphone on a boom box that was sitting on the floor in the middle of the basement. That's how I recorded, you know, that's that. <laughs> and you know, if, when I was 15, if I had the internet, I would have been like, oh, check out this awesome parody I just did and put it up on MySpace and it would have gotten destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're, so you're saying, Tom, that at that point, you'd been able to develop your skills. So when you were at RIT, by the time you were working on this compilation, you felt like you'd kind of leveled up in a way that helped you stand out. 
as an artist. I, I got to be, by the time I was at RIT, I was good enough. By then I was recording on a four track. I knew how to use it. Um, I, I was, still wasn't the best at it. I still didn't have the best equipment or anything, but I was good enough that if you listen to my stuff and you listen to the rest of the stuff that's on that alt rap compilation, my stuff doesn't sound half bad. I mean, some of the stuff is really beautifully produced and, you know, these people went into studios and stuff, but some of the other stuff, is not as good as what I recorded as far as the sound quality and stuff goes. So I, I was good enough, and I'm constantly been improving over the years. I'm self-taught at damn near everything I do. Um, so, you know, I, I learn as I go, and I, I'm gradually improving. And every so often, I come across something that's like, how the hell did I not know that? You know, I should have learned that 20 years ago. But, you know, it's, it's the way it happens when you're self-taught. You miss stuff. Like, you have that. Uh, Tim has this, this this punk DIY like musical aesthetic of like do it yourself, build your community. You don't need the corporate you don't need the corporate structure to give you what what you earn because guess what they can take it away and right. you've been able to create this lasting community the, with all these elements you've helped so many people myself included and by the way I wanted to shout out Insane Ian because I didn't mention him earlier but like people who've been on the podcast who you've had a hand in fostering their career and so mm-hmm. I wonder do you ever feel like You've become like a father figure in the scene and you've helped been a mentor to a lot of people. Was that intentional or like, did that just kind of happen? No, it just kind of happened. Um, do you know what the name of my company is by any chance? I'm curious. Yeah. It's called Fidim Interactive. F-I-D-I-M. It stands for fine, I'll do it myself. <laughs> and that came about because in the 90s, I had gotten into uh producing video games and um i wanted to make my own video games and i was i was an artist i went to school for illustration and i was like great i'll do the graphics i'll hire you know a programmer find a programmer to do the um do the programming and go from there and we had a game that was almost done we'd worked on it for like a year and a half and then he split he just bailed on me when there was like one showstopper of a bug left and i couldn't Mm release the game with this bug in place and he never sent me the code so i was stuck so i I remember screaming fine i'll do it myself and i taught myself how to program so i could release this damn game yeah and um so i did eventually release you know reprogram the game from scratch and release it um as shareware in the 90s um and so i but as when that happened i realized fine i'll do it myself made made this cool acronym fight him and then uh my wife jen my girlfriend at the time uh told me that fight him sounds like the the dog name fido so we came up with this (laughs) logo of a cute little dog so the dog's name is is fight him and that's that's the logo for the company even the name of your parent company embodies that like spirit of we'll just get it done at any cost Yep. There are limitations when you do it yourself, but it's also satisfying because it's from it's from you. It's from your heart and soul. Yeah, there there are times when I wish I had a whole team of, you know, people I can send off to do these huge projects, you know, specifically videos. Um, but the you know, it comes down to time or money and stuff and and it's like which one do I have more of and it's usually not money. So it's like in order to get other people involved, you generally have to pay them. Um, right. And, you know, I, we do have several uh, very, very good volunteers working on, on some, thing, some aspects of the FUMP, which I'm very appreciative for. Um, uh, we have Eclectic Lee, who runs our, our newsletter that we put out every month. Uh, we have Chris Allmiller, who, do, who runs the FUMP Sideshow. Um, and, uh, insane Ian runs our, our social media. So he's the one who handles the, the Twitter and Facebook accounts. Um, 
So, you know, that's one less thing for me to be worried about, which I was very grateful for when they stepped up. You could be signed to it. Like I've been in a situation where working with a label, but then not knowing what's getting done, right? I'd rather in some ways just do it all myself because fine, I'll do it myself, right? Right. Like to delegate sometimes can take more time. It can. And I I found that out because I I read one of these, you know, I've I've read a, a couple dozen books on running businesses and stuff. And, you know, one of them was like finding volunteers and finding um, people to help you out and stuff. And there was, there was one about uh, uh, virtual assistants and you can go on these websites and hire virtual assistants. And I, what I found was I was spending more time coaching and training the virtual assistants to do what I needed done than I would, than I was saving by not doing the project myself. So like, you know, if it took me two hours to do the project myself, I was spending three and a half hours coaching them and fixing their their mistakes and stuff. So it, it and then I was paying them on top of it. I wasn't paying them a lot, but I was paying them on top of it. So it was like it just wasn't worth it at all. So I I quit doing that. Let's talk a little bit about the early years. Sure. Of Tom Rockwell, um, you yep. you grew up in Connecticut and um, mm-hmm. you went to RIT. I studied illustration at RIT. Um, I have uh, three degrees. I have a bachelor's in illustration, uh, uh, an associate's in graphic design, and a master's in art education. Um, and uh, my my goal was to to paint and get paid for it. Basically, I, I wanted to do you know album covers and book covers and stuff. And what I didn't know at the time and what the school didn't teach me was that the field of illustration was changing drastically while I was there. So they were teaching me how to do illustration the way illustration had been done for the past 30 years and not taking into account what the computer and what, what you know what com- the computerization of the industry was going to do to the industry. And and, and it may not be their fault they probably didn't know. I mean I I was taught computers and how to do stuff on computers, but as far as the industry, as far as getting work and finding jobs and stuff like that, they didn't teach us anything about that. So I graduated and I was like, okay, now what? How do I find work? You know. Mm. And what was happening was um, as the computer took over the graphic design field, timelines got shorter and shorter and shorter. And where it used to be, you know, you had a month to write an article for a magazine, now you had a week. And or sometimes two or three days. And that wasn't enough time to, you know, figure out what type of illustration you need and how and how and source an illustrator and hire an illustrator and go back and forth with sketches and revisions and whatnot. And so that led to people using more and more stock photography and stock illustration. So the illustration field, as I knew it, as I was taught it, was destroyed um, in the 90s. And mm. I was dumped right into the rubbish in, into the rubble. Um so I I kind of went other directions. That that was when I started focusing on um, on uh, video games. And I uh, after a, a few years of living in Rochester, we moved to New Jersey to be closer to both my family and my wife's family. And because of my background in both art and design and programming, um, I landed a job as a multimedia developer here in New Jersey, and that's kind of what I've been doing ever since. Um, doing web design, mm. interactive CD design. Well, they don't do CDs anymore, but interactive presentations, um, you know, things like that. Occasionally games. I'm actually still doing some video game development. Um, so, but uh, yeah, Rochester was cold. There's no other way to describe it. It's cold and windy up there. <laughs> and with climate change, I follow the Rochester uh, Reddit, subreddit, and there was a post today about like how 
people predicting that as the world gets hotter, cities like Rochester and like Seattle and the northern cities are going to have this boom, right? Like as the, their temperature becomes more mild mm-hmm. um, compared to the rest of the world. And um, I guess one of like one of the things I love about Rochester. I don't know if you if you feel me on this. People are very friendly there. I think more than other places. Maybe that's just because whenever we do shows there, they're they're like really good. But like it feels like there's a community sense up there, and everyone I met from up there is really nice. Yeah, when uh, when I was in Rochester, I mean, especially going to shows, um, you know, going to concerts there, um, I saw some fantastic shows in Rochester. Um, like Water Street at Water Street or Bug Jar? Uh, I went I've, several to Bug Jar. Um, Club X was big when I was in college. That's not there anymore. Uh, and even the Rochester War Memorial, you know, I saw Ice Cube and Method Man at, at the War Memorial. Um, That's tight. And, you know, and, and the people, there were a couple people in the, in the, in the, in the, in, you know, War Memorial. There's thousands of people there. I was like one of a dozen white guys in the crowd. And, Everyone was like a couple people recognized me from from campus. People who I didn't know recognized me from campus, and were like, "Oh, you're that dude from camp walking around on campus with the PMS hat." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, that's me. Yeah, okay." So, <laughs> yeah, I did a parody of OPP back in the day called PMS, and I made a hat that said "You down with PMS," and I wore it around campus because that was the '90s. <laughs> that's tight. Um, you've had you've been doing rap parodies. Since like rap was a thing, almost I, I remember I saw in your bio you did one of your first moments you realized that that got reaction is when you did the South Bronx, you performed that at a party where like the South Park South South yeah. Park that story warmed my heart a young <laughs> Devo Spice fearlessly bringing some of his interests together and so I guess one thing I wanted to ask is like you were a white rapper before that was actually kind of even a thing or you were one of the first yeah, i right? was really um i started yeah. doing this in 1986 and you know wow. back then there were no white rappers i mean other than uh, uh, there was one like part of like one of those like grandmaster so-and-so and the whatever seven there was one white guy in one of those groups i don't i, I remember which one um but it wasn't until uh the beastie boys really were you know the yeah. first ones who who um kind of became popular they were the first white rappers who gained any kind of notoriety um and uh you know i i kind of i was a big fan of the beastie boys when when they came out i really liked what that what they were doing um but yeah i was it was early on i remember going into like record stores and before there was a rap section on the wall you know and just looking Mm. for any song that had the word rap in the title because that would tell me that this was a rap album you know that's that's what i had to do right so you what was the first rap song you heard it was a grandmaster flash song it would have been in the early 80s sometime i don't remember which one it might have been the message uh but i remember mm. i was into breakdancing and i remember a friend of mine who was also into breakdancing telling me i should listen to this one radio station out of new york city so i did and then this you know, Grandmaster Flash comes on and he just keeps going and going and going and going, like seemingly without breathing and going and going. I'm like, this is cool. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it did feel accessible, like something that you could you could try to do yourself or did it not feel did it feel too like alien? To you? No, like, it's yeah. I, I've I've got this like creative drive in me where wherever I see something cool, I want to do it myself. That's why I, you know, I taught myself how to draw. I taught myself how to program, you know, I, yeah. and when, when I learned about rap, you know, and breakdancing too, when I learned about rap, I was like, I 
like this. And I, I bought a couple of compilation albums and I learned some of the songs and I was like, yeah, this is, sometimes it's hard to, you know, find a place to breathe, but I like this, you know, and I, I latched onto the fat boys very early, uh, because of the, the comedy aspect of what they did, you know, cause I, I've, I'd been a fan of, of funny songs since I was little. Um, you know, I've, I very early remember hearing, um, you know, Alan Sherman records and weird Al Yankovic, uh, and Tom Lehrer and, and, you know, I got the Dr. Demento compilations when I was a kid. Um, so I was big into the comedy. So when I started writing my own material, it seemed just natural to write funny rap songs because nobody else was doing it. It was fun. What was one of your first songs you remember writing? The very first song I wrote is, is called Infection. It's a parody of Perfection by Run DMC. You could remix that now for COVID. <laughs> <laughs> um and it's not great but honestly it's not terrible <laughs> i I've, I've done worse songs since i have such a love for the same era of hip-hop i wonder if the mass audience even knows who grandmaster flash is or even run dmc like you don't want to try to appeal to the kids right like the steve buscemi hello fellow yeah. kids meme like you don't want right, to do exactly. that but at the same time it's like i don't know how many people would know that song who's who are younger than 30 Right? Yeah. Or 40. Yeah. Infection is spe- perfection, especially because it's it was not a single. Right. It was just, it was on Raising Hell and it was just the end, you know, it was just a song. Um, I did it because I had the idea yeah. and I wanted to write something. Um, so, you know, but yeah, and I, I've, I ran into that. I actually have uh, one of my son's friends is a fan of mine. And he was talking to me about how, how I, my music tends to appeal to people my age. And I was like, well, you're right what you know. Yeah. You know, I don't know what people your age are into. You know, this this kid is 14 or 15, oh, I guess. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, so I'm like, I have no idea what you're into. I mean, I know Fortnite exists. I know Minecraft exists. You know, I don't know what else there is. You know, I, I, I don't know what you're into. I, I, I could research it and try to do a song about it, but then it would exactly be that meme. Yeah. I'd be like... Hello, fellow young people. <laughs> uh, here's a rap song. People like Luke. He, I remember he would do like pick obscure. He, he he picks obscure songs to parody because he wants to. And I think that should always be the impetus for good art. And that's yeah. something I love about you. And that's why, like, when I heard your WAP parody, I was like, oh, it's, or when I heard your Old Town Road parody, like, mm-hmm. I just love it when you do your take on new songs because you do that really well, too. So it's Thank you. you have this duality in your artistic oeuvre, which I really like. Yeah, for the for the parodies, I try to stay current yeah. or, you know, at least find something that's that's current and, and popular uh, just just so that it's a it's a bigger audience because, you know, yeah, I can I, ha- I have a parody idea for Andy Up by M.O.P. I don't know that I'm ever going to do it. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know who remembers that song. I mean, I know people my age remember that song. I don't know if anyone younger than me remembers that song. But um, you know, for for the 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 modern parodies, what I actually do is I, I'll go on um, iTunes and just see what the like the top ten rap songs are, mm, and okay. I just listen to them. And that's how I found uh, WAP. <laughs> and when I heard that song, I was like, "This sounds like a song that I should be parodying." You know, just it, yeah. it just it, it stuck out to me as this is a song that people are going to remember. Um, and sure enough, it's you know the biggest hit of the year. So I'd done mine, and I didn't. Re- I for somehow I missed that you'd done yours, and so it was like we're both like, "Oh, we both did the same song, but very different topics." Yours is about yeah. what happens when you try to give a cat a bath, right? Yeah, mine's wet ass pussy cat. Um, and the sample is instead of the that sample, you sample Schaefer's um, cat people. Yep, at the beginning. And and big shout outs to Schaefer because he actually sent me an acapella remix of his song so that I can sample it cleanly without the background music interfering. 
Um, so yeah, shout outs to Schaefer. That was great. What a guy. That's tight, Schaefer. Um, for many years, you've been with different projects, and I wanted to talk. So two things I want to talk about. I want to talk about sudden death and how that helped mm-hmm. you transition into your solo stuff. And I also want to talk about the story with uh, the Fat Boys guest verse when you when you mm-hmm. did your se- your Seven Deadly Sins song. So since you mentioned the Fat Boys a few minutes ago, let's just talk about that story really quickly you mentioned that it resolved and everything was okay and then we'll talk about sudden death so yeah let's talk about that what happened with that i was a big fan of the fat boys growing up and every so often i like to just i get nostalgic and i look around and i I see if i can find where they are now and couldn't find anything for years on what the fat boys were doing and then i discovered one one day after doing this that prince marky d was a dj on a, a radio station in in florida and then uh, a little while after that i learned that a guy named uncle louie was managing them and sort of got them back together and actually produced a new song back in 2009 i guess this was and um and they were doing they were doing their thing and they were they were going to do a reality TV show looking for a new human beatbox because you know unfortunately Buffy passed away in 95 and um so you know it looked like they were going to do a minor comeback and I was really excited so um with that I informed Luke Ski of that and then he did a parody of All You Can Eat called All You Can Tweet and got me involved on that so that's a thing that exists too um <laughs> And it was really cool. We sent that to Louis, who played it for Prince Marky D live on one of their webcasts. Hey. So Luke got to sit there and watch Prince Marky D react to his song live. It was fantastic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He was like, yo, this dude is a fan. I love this. Yeah, and yeah it was great. That's right. So fast forward a little bit more, and uh, Louis puts out a tweet on, on Twitter that says, hey, anyone who wants to get the Fat Boys on, on a song, hit me up. And I was like... I probably can't afford this, but it couldn't hurt to ask. So I asked him and he gave me a number and he's like, look, I know you're, I know you did the song. I know you're a huge fan. I'll give you this special price. And I was like, okay, um, I can come up with that amount of money. So let's do this. And, um, so the, the idea was to do a song called seven deadly sins, where we embrace each of the seven deadly sins. And I was going to get to gluttony and I was going to have Marky D interrupt me and then just do a classic fat boys verse of about all about gluttony. Solid concept. Yeah. I I thought it worked. (laughs) Um, and then I had Luke ski come in for pride. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, so we made the arrangements. Uh, I, I sent him the money, and I, I said, "Look, I need the song by by this date if I'm going to make it, you know, for my album." And they said, "Yeah, no problem." Um, so it got closer and closer and closer, and you know, the, the recording hadn't materialized. And then finally, he was like, "Yo, I'm going into the studio now. Uh, I'll do. I'll take care of your song." And then that never materialized. I don't know what he did in the studio, but it wasn't my song. Um, and then you know, we got closer to the date, and I was like, "I was like, look, I, you know, it's not going to make this album, you know." And they actually offered me a refund for the song. And I was like, no, I want the song to exist. Let's yeah. just push it out. Well, I'll put it on the next album. It's fine. And so it just it kept going. And the updates from the guys kept getting you know fewer and farther in between. It got to the point where it was months before I heard anything. And then finally, I, I had to pull the plug on. I'm like, look, this obviously isn't going to happen. Let's just cancel it. You just give me my money back, and, and it'll be fine. Um, and, and Louis refused to give me the money back. <laughs> And his reasoning was that my deal was with 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 Prince Marky D, and Mark hadn't sent me the verse. And I was like, "But I paid you." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "You're the manager. I paid you. <laughs> I don't know whether you gave the money to Mark or not, but I paid you. You're mm. the one who owes me the money." Um, 
And he was not happy with that. And he went on Twitter and, you know, went on this rant on Twitter about how I'm a racist and I'm this and I'm that and other things. And, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Look, look, I'm not, <laughs> let's, let's, let's settle down here a little bit. Didn't he have Eric B and Rakim retweet like some accusations or something like that? No, what, what was happening, he controls all those Twitter accounts. So it okay. was him. He logged in as Marky D, as Cool Rockski, as Eric B, as Rakim, as I think Special Ed. Uh, he also represents um, JJ Fad. So it was all these artists he represents. He was logging in as them and okay. just calling me a racist and saying what a jerk I was. And so as someone who grew up loving the work of all these artists, that must have felt that must have felt horrible. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was crushing. Um, and after I realized that it was him doing it and not the artist, it was like, okay, it's just him. Fine, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I I put a video up on on YouTube explaining the whole situation, um, telling them, look, I was a huge Fat Boys fan, and this was like a perfect, fantastic opportunity to to you know for the song to happen, and it just it didn't happen, and you know here's what's going on. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I kept emailing Louie and I'm like, look, I will take you to court for this. You know, let's just settle this. And uh, I ended up going to small claims court and, and getting a judgment against him. And he after that, and I think after he finally saw the video, he saw just what a huge fan I was. Because what I, what I said was like, look, I've been a fan all my life. And I held up this r- really rare Fat Boys 12-inch of chilling with the refrigerator that they had put out. And uh, William the Refrigerator Perry. Um, and, you know, so so he was like... He's, he finally did send me the money back. Okay. He was like, yeah, look, I know I'm, he's like, I felt bad after I saw your video. So, you know, here's the money. So that, that was it. As far as I'm concerned, it's water under the bridge and I'm fine. And if, um, if Louis or, or Mark hears this, if you still want to send me the verse, I will send you the money again. So <laughs> I, I, I would still love for this song to happen. Um, did you release it with a different guest doing gluttony or did you end up shelving it? I had planned to. Um, uh-huh. I was I was trying to find another uh, overweight rapper who would be willing to make fat jokes, and I was like, I know there's a couple other overweight rappers out there. I don't know them well enough to say, hey, are you willing to come on a song and make fun of yourself and, right. and stuff? Um, I did approach uh, Billy the Fridge about doing it, and he was on board to do it, and he just he just never got me the verse either. Okay. Um, so this is so this pride this song has never come out. I didn't it's, realize it's that. never come out. No, there we, is a demo of, uh, of the song with uh, I got Luke's ver- Luke's vocals. Um, I want to redo the music because I'm not really happy with it anymore. But um, the but uh, and I, I have me filling in for the Marky D verse. Uh, so there is a demo of it that exists, but it's never seen the light of day. So had you written his parts for him? Or was I did, and I I told him if. You know, because that was early on. That that was a source of some confusion because uh, they they didn't they weren't expecting that. Um, and I said, "Look, here's what I wrote. If you don't want to say what I wrote, that's fine. Write your own verse or come up with your own stuff. Just make sure it's in the same in the theme of the song. That's all." Yeah. When I did that song with Luke, when I did this D- Dementia Revolution song, he actually wrote my parts, which yeah. which in some like some ways that can be helpful. You know, because it's like, oh, well, all you have to do is record it. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, that's I didn't realize that story had a lot of nuances to it. And as a fan, it's interesting how you've kind of made peace with it, and you have no ill will. I think that shows how big of a fan you are. Yeah, and, so. and even like shortly after that went down, I went back and listened to some of the Fat Boy songs, and I was and because I'm one of those people who has a hard time separating the art from the artist. And if I find out the the 
the artist is a douchebag. I have a hard time enjoying their music. But I went back and I re-listened to the Fat Boy stuff, and I was like, yeah, I still enjoy this. You know, I've I hold no grudges against against the Fat Boys or anything for this. They weren't really a group that I kind of grew up after they were popular, and because of your story and your YouTube video, I got into them and I watched Disorderlies and like I would <laughs> listen to them, and they're awesome, man. The, they the, were the music. Disorderlies is fantastic. Their their yeah. their scenes in Crutch Groove are amazing. You know, wasn't that was Crush Groove was kind of how they got their start, right? No, Crush Groove was um, they got their start because they won a uh, rap contest in in Brooklyn, um, and then that kind of that led to a single contract, which led to an album contract. Um, but they had gotten really popular with the release of their first album and maybe two, and then Crush Groove was in production, and they were okay. like, "Look, we need to work the Fat Boys into Crush Groove," <laughs> so that's what they did. That's why their story is a little. Uh, it, it kind of like is off to the side of the yeah. main plot and then it kind of merges at the end that's why what were they called before the fat boys the disco three and i actually have a, a 12 inch of, of of one of the disco three songs well speaking of name changes and speaking of new chapters and careers let's talk about sudden death and uh, i because i noticed on spotify you have like a greatest hits compilation yes um, the the rhythms from the crypt you have two volume one and two rhythms from the crypt the yes. best of sudden death so was this uh, this was a project you were you fronted or was this like talk, let's talk a little bit about that it, it it was the same thing that i'm doing now just under a different name and the reason was um when we started this on april 23rd 1986 i remember the date um hey. <laughs> I, I basically i was on the bus with my friends dave and scott and i learned leaned over and i said hey you want to form a rap group and they said okay and it began um that's literally <laughs> how it went um, and then a year and a half later, we we managed to record Infection. It, it took us that long to get to you know to to get everything organized and and do it. Um, but the, my idea for the sudden death was a group. It was supposed to be a group effort with you know of us, the three of us doing comedy. And um, I was always the, the really the only one who was really super into it. Yeah. Um, so I ended up doing most of the work, which I didn't mind. Um, as time went on, I, I realized, um, well, what happened was uh, I, I started immediately sending songs to the Dr. Demento show. And in 1990, I got my first bit of airplay uh, with a song called I'm Bored. And uh, so when, once that happened, I was like, okay, I need to you know move this project faster along. Um, so I kind of took the 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 role of the lead rapper in the in sudden death and the other guys kind of faded to the background and what i wanted to do was restructure it kind of like digital underground where mm. we'd have a whole bunch of different rappers all doing you know working on this one cohesive project and it never worked out that way i was always the one who did 90 95 of the work um the other guys were around they helped me out they did co-vocals occasionally little bits of writing here and there um occasionally a little bit of music uh later on i got uh the other tom in sudden death uh he, he went by several names i think the last one was the professor um yeah i got him to do a lot of the music so the late sudden death stuff has a lot of his music which i, I love i love his production skills um and so we and it, but we operated like that until um like two, 2008 where it was still me doing most of the work but i kept pretending i had a group you know just because yeah. i felt like it i was <laughs> mostly trying to fool myself into thinking i had a group um and then you know in in the mid to late 2000s as i was performing out more and we i was releasing better music and starting to get better known um 
it started to become problematic because there are other bands out there using the name Sudden Death. Most of mm. them are heavy metal bands. And uh, in fact, back in the MySpace days, uh, there was a death metal band from Florida called Sudden Death who friended me on on MySpace and said they loved what I was doing and that we should go on tour together. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, and you were Sudden Death on MySpace. Then. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm all for it. Let's do it. Let's confuse the crap out of the fans, you know? <laughs> so, um, but it, it, it started to become problematic because there were, you know, people reviewing albums on iTunes going, hey, wait, is this the same sudden death that did this other thing? Are these the same people, whatever? So it, it got to be, you know, it got to be a problem. So mm-hmm. um, in 2008, I was like, I had an epic year in 2007 on the Dr. Demento show. I had number. I, I was releasing a ton of stuff. Um, I had several number one songs on the Dr. Demento countdowns. I had the number one most requested song of the year, the number two most requested song of the year, the number four most requested song of the year, and I was the guest vocalist on song number five. So basically wow. four of the top five songs were mine. Um, and... So I had an epic year on the Dr. Demento show. And then the next year, I'm like, I need to change my name because it's becoming a problem. Mm. And I was like, I hate to lose all this momentum I've built up, but I kind of have to do it. So um, previously, I was Tom Rockwell, a.k.a. Devo Spice of Sudden Death. I do comedy rap. I'm part of a group. It really is a group. There are other people who help me out, but I do most of the work anyway. And when I show up, I perform solo. Got it. You know, that was the explanation I had to have with every damn person I spoke to. Right. And after I dropped the group name Sudden Death, it was, hi, I'm Devo Spice. I do funny rap songs. And it just, it it felt, it clicked. It felt better. It worked better. It was just much easier branding. And so that is like, if you were a member of the Spice Girls that happened to be a fan of Devo, is that what it's from? Or like, that's... No, it's um, okay. it's it's it, go- it dates back to my breakdancing days actually, ah. uh, because one of the other uh, skills I had as a kid that I was I self taught was I used to do um, sound effects with my mouth, like a la Michael Winslow from Police Academy. That's right. And uh, I was quite good at it for a while, and then my voice changed, and I lost a lot of them. But anyway, um, so when I was I was on vacation with my family in Florida, and I, we happened upon a whole bunch of breakdancers in the middle of the street, and they didn't have a radio for music so there was this one guy beatboxing off on the side and then they were just dancing and i overheard somebody refer to his spice referring to his sounds and i was like that's kind of cool i like that oh okay um so it was like local slang i don't think it ever caught on anywhere else but that's where i heard it and devo was just short for devastating um even though it's spelled a little different yeah um so that that's all and those guys those break dancers happened to be in the metal band, sudden death. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> that's tight. Um, okay, so that's cool. There's a lot of history, a lot of backstory. Um, I, one one a memory of a show we did together early on was 2008 on tour with Front a Lot. You opened for us on the on the night Obama won in Jersey election night. Election yeah, night. I remember that. That was yeah, that was fun. That was an exciting night, and it was not. I think a lot of people were at home watching. It was a great show, but it was like, should we do a show was, on election night? Oh, well, it was fun. Yeah, it was not well attended. No. Um, <laughs> like most of my shows are not well attended. There's like <laughs> this comedy music curse where I show up for a show and nobody else does. I don't know. I don't understand it, but that's the way it happens. Well, my, I've been there too, man. And my, my last question for you, Tom, what is the best show you've ever played? Like, it was like, wow, that was an awesome show that you've 
stands out in your mind? Um, the the show that usually stands out in my mind is um, well, I mean, a lot of the shows I've done with Psycho Stick have been amazing, but the one that really jumps out to me is WorldCon in two thousand and eight, I believe it was. So WorldCon is the World Science Fiction Convention. Um, this was taking place in Reno, Nevada, and they had Doctor Demento as one of their guests. Mm. So uh, I kind of con- I contacted the organizers and I was like, "Hey, I just had several huge hits on the Doctor Demento show. I'd love to come out and perform." And um, Doctor Demento called me up on stage during his Festival of Dementia to do a song, and I did the song that was number one the previous year in front of a thousand people who laughed their full heads off the entire time. And it was just amazing. It was an amazing performance. It was an amazing show. It was just the greatest feeling in the world to have, you know, a thousand or 1200 people in this room, just laughing hysterically at what I'm doing up on stage. It was the greatest thing. People who were on board with Demento on board with the comedy music legacy. Did you have video with it or is it just through the track? It was that was just the track, I believe, because we were using. Oh, actually, you know what? I might have because he plays videos during his performances, so he. I might have given him the video to play. I don't remember, to mm. be honest. What was the song? Uh, Cellular degeneration. Right. Which, wait, is that an original? That's an original song about uh, cell phone technology. How you can do everything with a cell phone except make phone calls. Right. <laughs> that's tight. That's tight. That's a, that must have been awesome, like an eight mile moment. Like a, like it was, yeah. That was definitely my eight mile moment. That's what's up. Um, there's nothing on the horizon until the vaccine, right? Like in terms of like Fump Fest or anything. Well, we are we are planning Fump Fest. We had to postpone this year's uh, in person Fump Fest, and we did an online event in August. Um, so so uh, we are currently planning Fump Fest 2021 with Doctor Demento as our guest of honor. Um, it's going to take place in Chicago, pandemic permitting, you know, so we're hoping there's going to be a vaccine by then and we'll be able to do things safely. Um, if we have to postpone again, we will, but we're really hoping we don't have to. I just miss going to the movies, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. I missed, I missed a lot of things, but I don't miss that we did this awesome episode. Yeah. My latest album is called The Anarchist Joke Book. Huh. Uh, it in- it includes the number one song on the Dr. Demento show of 2019, which is uh, Spider Verses, which is a big group jam I did about the, the movie Into the Spider Verse. Um, that's available on my Bandcamp page at uh, devospice.bandcamp.com. Uh, it's also you can also hit me up on my website at devospice.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at devospice. I don't use them a whole lot, but I'm on there. Um, if you're interested in the older sudden death stuff, that is up on Bandcamp as well on a separate link. That's suddendeathrap.bandcamp.com. That's all the old stuff of questionable quality. And the further back you go, the crappier it gets. So just be prepared. That does not have infection. Infection was released on. I put out a a tenth anniversary tape in 1996, and uh, that infection was on that. I can send you a copy if you want. Infection was on one of the um, one of the rhythms from the crypt compilations, but I don't remember what. It might have been the special volume three that was only available to um, backers on Kickstarter. Your thing, Dead Things Could Rap Two album reminds me a lot mm-hmm. of the mc chris is dead album cover and i'm imagining yours came out before his many years that came out in january of 1992 it's the the, the, the rapper with the hat <laughs> crawling out of the grave with a microphone it, the, even the expression is the same i'm not saying that chris ever knew this but it's a coincidence <laughs> i don't know have you have you ever seen you've seen his record right 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway. Okay, I don't mean to derail your plug. I'm just on the Bandcamp now. I wanted to mention that. No, it's fine, yeah. That's what's up. Um, and then the FUMP is you, people can subscribe, right? Or you like, how does that work financially real quick? So the FUMP, uh, we post two new comedy songs every week, some, one on Tuesday, one on Friday. And, and every so often there's a Sunday song that gets thrown in. Um, and those are available initially as a free download. Um, so you can just go to the website, click download and get and get it for free. Um, and then after it, every time a new song gets posted, each song gets pushed down one slot. And then when it gets to the bottom, it goes to the archive. And once it's in the archive, if you want to download it, we ask for 99 cents. Um, and then if you want a high quality download, it's 99 cents. And then every two months we put out a compilation album, uh, with the previous two months songs, plus usually a bonus video of some kind. And uh, we offer subscriptions, so if you pay five bucks a month, you get all the high-quality downloads that your bandwidth can manage, um, including the compilation albums, or if you want the you know individual songs or whatever. Um, and for ten bucks a month, you get the the physical CD compilation albums. If if you're still the type of person who collects physical media, so that's where our money comes from. Do you still put them all on Spotify or not? Yes. Yes, they all go up on iTunes, they all go up on Spotify, um, Amazon Music. Um, there's a bit of a lag from the time, because the I don't put the individual songs up on Spotify, I only put the albums up. So sometimes it's, it can be a month or two from the time a song hits the thump to the time it, it, it appears on, on Spotify, but they all do go up by there. And my Schrodinger's Cat song was on the uh, volume 66, I remember. Yep. Please support my man in any way you can, support the thump, he's got good morals. And I, I appreciate this interview. This was a good interview. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, man. From the deserts of Mandalore he comes. Strikes again, Din Djarin does. With wrist rockets and jetpacks and far more dialogue than Boba Fett he has. The Mandalorian, he is. M-A-N-D-L-O-R-E-N. M-A-N-D-L-O-R-E-N. M-A-N-D-L-O-R-E-N M-A-N-D-L-O-R-E-N Hey, you, put down that child You don't know me and you don't know my style Always get my man when I come with a plan Here I am, I'm the man, DeLorean Give you view from the flashes on my wrist Unlike stormtroopers, I rarely miss Got some best car, paid for a favor That stuff is impervious to lightsabers When track my man from here to half And I don't ever take my helmet off Style is classic, straight from the tribe You'll be like, oh man, can't describe Piss me off and watch me get fucked wild And then go and blow everything up Upside, downside, inside and outside Hitting you from every angle, there's no doubt I always complete my mission And have great aim with no peripheral vision now please pay for what I did Hold up, what? What's gonna happen to the kid right there? I know I'm paid up and we're square But this doesn't look like daycare And I can't sit back and watch him get killed So I'm about to break every rule in the guild Coming like raw, ooh, I'll break him out Tell me now exactly what you're gonna do about I saved the kid from hardship, now a far trip I'm hoping that he doesn't get car sick What happened to my starship? Oh damn it, another chop shop on the Jawa's planet Hey, 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 give me that stuff back that I got carjacked. It's a mess. All right, y'all. Karga, take flank. Doom, cover me. IG-11, protect the child. We're gonna take out Moff Gideon and all his Imperial cronies. I got a Boba Fett hat. I got myself a jetpack. And I'm about to go get lifted. Yes, I'm about to go get lifted. He's got a fast TIE fighter. He's got a new wing rider. Maybe 
happy this wasn't such a great plan No, I don't think this was such a great plan Uh, M-O-F-F, Moth Gideon Haven't seen him since I was a young foundling Zoom, he hit the ground like boom But he made it out, I'll probably see him again Question, what exactly is a Tusken Raider? Signed a favor by Knox, we made a trade for Never trust a droid, I'm a firm disbeliever Also, people don't trust them much either Not an average joke an average foe, doing average jobs for average Joe. Quills and Ugnot, a lovely old bloke who says, I have spoken. Huh, check it, my life can be pretty hectic. But when I get a charge, I, I collect, collect it. it. Sometimes iffy, these people are shifty. All of this for a kid who's like 50. Like Dark Helmet, who said with a cling, I can't breathe in this thing. Mandalorian, you sent for. Yes, therefore, I come from Mandalore. Duh, they raised me up when I was stray. Child, I'll care for him, cause that's our way. Someone tell me why I'm inclined. And how he can move things with his mind. Meaning I'm stuck with him and have to go look. Till I can find his people in the phone. Book. But for now my honor is restored I'm clear with the guild, kids safely aboard So how many years will it take For me to search the galaxy for this kid's race Well I guess that depends on the Disney clan And just how much money they can make So before the next season's through You know what you are gonna have to do Please just don't make a fuss And come join up with us And subscribe now to Disney Plus And watch the M.A.N. DeLorean M.A.N. DeLorean M-A-N, DeLorean Here I am, I'm the man, DeLorean Straight from the mind of the most powerful mouse on the planet Giving you yet another service to subscribe to And just when you thought it might actually be cheaper When you canceled cable Haha, we got you back, sucker! That parody was so good and uh, very, very much in alignment of my interest. Thank you, Devo Spice. Tune in next month. We'll be back March 3rd for episode 117 with Chesky from Fake 4. And uh, Chesky is a dude who's amazing performer, really nice guy. And uh, he just, he was really interesting to talk to because it turns out we both lived in Oakland, the Bay Area, at the same time. So we go deep into how that influenced us as artists. And we talk about creativity during COVID. So check that out. Thank you all for listening. And go to patreon.com slash MC Lars to hear my new Star Wars episode four song. Holler.